Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back or welcome to Gardening Naturally. Uh, An attractive, sunny summer day. I know it's still summer. I mean, we got to go to the end of the week before we are technically in fall. I know the meteorologists are like, well, we have meteorological fall. It's like, yeah, well, you know, okay. Going to have decent temperatures, much better temperatures. And the big winners are the fact that the nighttime temperatures are nice and low. When it is above a certain temperature, plants cannot recover from the heat of the day. They close up to preserve water. And at night, when it's cool, they open back up so that they can quite literally breathe. But when it's been too hot at night, they don't open up. They stay closed up. They're stressed out. They're just not performing at all well. But now we're starting to get nighttime temperatures to be really, really much better. Be nice if they started, if the low of the day started with a six instead of a seven. But being below roughly 72 degrees is a good thing. This is where we will start seeing our plants blooming and fruiting again. Now, we're 10 inches behind for rain. Can you believe that? 10 inches. And we better not get all 10 inches in a single day. Oh, my gosh, we'll all be swimming to work. But we're not really sure what we're looking at for a longer-term outlook. Take advantage of the cool weather to start getting out there first before you do anything. Let's let's look around. What are we encountering? What are we encountering in terms of damage? What are your plants doing at this particular moment in time? Are they recovering at all? How are they looking? Are you getting any new growth? I know it's only been, what, five days, where it's a drop in temperature and some actual rain. But you'd be amazed at how quickly some plants can recover. My Turk's cap went from a few measly little blooms to at the moment it looks like it's on fire it has so many new red blooms and my hummingbirds are thrilled with that option I'm looking at maybe my blue mist flower coming back here soon too that would be great to have that in bloom because of course our monarchs are migrating right now 
and that provides decent food source for them. May get lucky and have my lantanas bloom one more time. Well, at least one more time. Um, bright yellow flowers, they really draw in, really draw in the butterflies. So that's the kind of stuff we want to see. Don't run out there going, oh, I got to do X, Y, or Z. No, 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 no. Take the time to figure out Take the time to figure out how things are doing first. Okay? We don't we don't start taking medicine just blindly. We figure out what is the condition we have, what kind of medicine works the best. We're going to do the same with our plants. How are they performing? What do they look like? Um, you may come out and come to your lantanas, for example, and figure, Ooh, they're growing, but I got a lot of dead, deadheaded material on them. I need to remove old blossoms. Okay, that's an evaluation. You can look at cutting them back. Notice we didn't do anything. We actually removed dead matter from them. If you cut them back, they will start to put on new growth. And you will get another round of blooming. Those of you with salvias, same thing. Trim back your salvias, and they will relatively quickly put on a new set of blooms for you, especially with this cooling water. Especially with the change in temperatures here. So we don't need to, we don't need to suddenly take a big reaction to here's what summer did. What are we going to fix? What do we got to do? Just observe first. Just observe. You will definitely have some plants where you're not sure they're going to make it. Okay? Don't administer medicine to the dead. Doesn't work. Take the time first to evaluate what you have going on. Think about things like trimming and deadheading to encourage the new growth. By doing so, you may not need to do much more to your plants. Now, we still have to have water. And even with water restrictions and the cooler, cooler weather that we're encountering, excuse me, you can start, uh, you can stay on your water schedule because your plants aren't going to need so much with it being cooler. And deadheading and cleaning them up and making them look good may be enough to get them to bloom for you, to put on that new growth, to get rid of the ugliness. Notice I haven't applied anything to them. 
if you are, oh, I got to give them something, seaweed. I'm going to just keep saying that. Give them seaweed. It's not a fertilizer, folks. It's not a fertilizer. Um, it is almost a tonic, okay? Almost like a tonic. And it has all the nutrients your plant needs to encourage healthy growth, resistance to drought, to heat, diseases, encourage blooming, encourage fruiting. If you're going to do anything because you're not sure what, you will never fail by applying seaweed. It is going to really, truly make a difference for the plants, especially after this heat. Especially after this kind of heat. Now, take the time to figure out what's going on before you make some rash decision. Before you start grabbing bags and bottles and things like that and start just blindly applying things to your plants. They probably will be recovering quickly, most of them on their own. But find out what they need before you just start throwing stuff at them. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, we're going to start evaluating, right? <clears throat> We've got decent weather. We won't mind being outside. We're just going to take the time to walk around our property and look at what's there and what isn't. What damage might you have suffered? How are your trees looking? They got a lot of dead branches, broken branches, or maybe they're hanging in there. And that rain was enough to turn them around and get them to look good again. You do not have to immediately run out there and decide that you need to dump bottles of fertilizer or whatever on your plants. See what they're doing first. Take a time to look and say, well, you know, that plant looks weak, but it seems to be pulling through now. It's starting to put on some new growth. Or you may find, wow, all those blooms died off. I need to deadhead that. We're not having to put anything on the plants yet. We're going to see which ones are recovering and which ones aren't. Now, that's something you can look at too. Actually, you should be looking closely at. Are there plants that, you know, they didn't make it. I'm not going to replace them with more of the same. Time to start thinking of some new plants to have. 
Uh, let's go to the phone. This is Scott. Scott, what can I help you with? Hey, good morning. I have had my St. Augustine pretty much uh, fried up with all this hot weather and want to know what I can do to encourage it to come back. Well, that's a little tough with St. Augustine. It's not... <clears throat> Sorry. It's not as drought-tolerant as the other ones. There's a good possibility that you lost a lot of the root. If there's anything alive, this last rain should get it to start perking up. That would be the first thing. Where do you have live grass? If it's 80% of your landscape, or uh, of your turf recovered, great. You can get it to grow out to fill in back to 100%. But if you look around and only 10% of it survived, uh, there's a conversation to be had there. Maybe you have the opportunity to pick a different kind of turf grass that is more drought tolerant. Um, you can always, you can always try, uh, Hosen sprayer with seaweed solution and wet the grass that is there. This rain, if you see green coming back, that means there's grass to come back there. It may not be a hundred percent. Sure. All right. Well, thank you for the advice. Uh, have some patience too. This rain really made a difference, but uh, one rainstorm, one break in the temperature all of a sudden, that may not be enough to really let the grass come back as much as possible. So look and see what, how much you got and give it a little more time. We really desperately need another good inch of rain or more. I don't know when that's going to happen. Sure. Yeah, and I'm, I, I have about 80% um, there, so we'll, we'll see. But the area that got hit, you know, it, it's clear where the sun just baked it. So um, it may nah. be gone for good until the spring. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if the rest of it is starts coming back, don't yeah. forget, you can go out into the new green grass and cut yourself, um, I don't know, four by four pieces of sod. Lift up the piece you cut, go to the place that doesn't have any grass in it, scrape it back a little bit, set your cut piece of sod in there. That is a way you can kind of help fill it in faster rather than going and, you know, having to go get a pallet of sod or uh, uh, half a pallet to fill in bad spots. You can sod it yourself from your good green grass. So consider that too as a way to save a few bucks. You, you just gave me a great idea. That's another great place for a new garden. So why put grass? On? I can start growing some more garden. You bet. You're a genius. You bet. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, I don't think so, but thanks for the compliment there, Scott. Uh, let's go to, um, this is Merle. Merle, what can I help you with? 
Good morning, Jeff. Um, I have a question about compost. Is it is it better to put compost down in the fall or in the spring? Cool weather is more important. You want to get it down when it's less than about 85 degrees. Two reasons. If you put it down in high heat and there's any dead grass under it, that dead grass will start decomposing. That'll generate heat. It's already hot in the summer. You don't need that combination. Number two is uh, if you're the one putting the compost down, you want to do it when we have um, the best weather we can get. I don't want to be out there sweating my tail off shoveling. So I would be waiting till cooler weather. A lot of people, Merle, will put it down um, spring and fall. And there's nothing wrong with that because you don't have to put too much at any one time. But the cooler weather is a benefit to putting down the new sod, uh, new compost, excuse me. Okay. And now, when is a good time to put down some St. Augustine sod? Okay. You could do it when we start cooling off again. Remember, if you put down new sod, even if you put a thin coating of compost underneath it and set your sod really well, um, you're going to have to provide water because those pieces of sod, you really don't want them to dry out. You want them to have the moisture they need to set new roots to set that sod for you. So the cooler it is, the less water you will need to keep them happy. And we also have the added benefit that we should, we should have rain in October. The problem with doing it late in the fall is you may put it down, you may get green grass, but it may go dormant on you. So it'll look like you just put down brown sod again, but it should return in the spring. Um, Whatever is easiest, spring or fall, you can use either one of them as a time for the compost and for the sod. You want, to, because sod needs so much water, you'd like to do it when we have better chances for rain. Okay, okay. All right, that answers my question, Jeff. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I really appreciate your show. Thanks for the call, Merle. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, whoop, where's my clock? Oh, yeah, we're getting there, aren't we? Yeah, folks, compost can burn the turf. If it's really hot out, you've got a lot of dead grass, you put a thick layer of compost on top of it, it can start decomposing again, which will generate heat and can burn the turf. So cooler temperatures, generally speaking, 85 and below are good times to put down compost, whether you're putting it down to put sod on or you're putting it on sod to help it uh, turn green. Cooler temperatures than what we're getting. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Need to break for the news? We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. 
Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, folks. I got an interesting text. We don't always address this, though it happens all the time. Every, every year you can find it. An individual is asking about what they can do. They have milkweed. And I'm going to assume that they have the tropical milkweed, but there's uh, no guarantee any of the milkweeds can get this. And suddenly the milkweed will be totally covered with these orangish aphids. They're called uh, oleander aphids. They are bugs that, like the monarch caterpillars, they can eat and digest the poison that is in the milkweed. There's, that's one of the distinguishing factors that makes the monarchs be able to eat them. They can digest the poisons that are found in it. Now, these aphids can get so thick that you can't see the stems of the plant at all. They just, they just overtake it. Don't panic. There is a almost symbiotic relationship. The milkweed draws in these bugs. These bugs attack the milkweed because they have the ability to process the uh, parts of the milkweed. You can, if you're really concerned, you can blast them with water. That will knock them off the plant. But a lot of people will find out, guess what? They're back the next day. You can consider using insecticidal soap. At this time of the year, generally speaking, monarchs are not laying eggs on the milkweed. They're getting food sources. So you have a low risk of injuring monarch caterpillar eggs. Maybe as much as no risk. So what's the deal with these guys? This bug is the only one that can eat the milkweed, just like monarchs are the only ones that can eat the milkweed. But the milkweed, as such, gets so many of these guys on, you start seeing another bug. It's an orange and black bug. Looks like it has triangles on it. Sometimes looks like what's called a box elder bug. But this bug is called a milkweed assassin bug. It's orange and black and crawling around on the milkweed, and it's eating those aphids. And everything works and stays in balance there. They reach the point where they finally get ahead of the aphids. The milkweed can continue growing while it's being attacked by these aphids. And you need a certain amount of them before you'll start seeing what's called the milkweed assassin beetle. Now, in the spring, this is not uncommon. 
You may see, if you still have milkweed, as we come into the cooler weather again, you may see these aphids show up. Um, again, blast them with water if you want. Using insecticidal soap can be effective and has a low risk of causing problems to the monarchs. They're coming home now, the monarchs. They're, they've been passing through. They've been reported in the area. They are looking for food. They're not looking to lay eggs. That's not what's going on here. So it's a low, low, low impact risk to the monarchs by knocking the bugs off of the milkweed. But the other side of it is, don't worry about it. Seriously, this relationship between bug and plant has been going on for millennia. This just didn't happen in your yard today. They will regulate themselves you will get a whole bunch of these nasty aphids, and all of a sudden you'll start seeing the milkweed assassin bugs who will be picking off the aphids. Now, see, the thing about it is the milkweed assassin bugs also can process the nasty chemicals in the milkweed, and they have to be able to because guess what? The aphids are full of it. So the aphids kind of have the same kind of protection that monarch butterflies have. Birds quickly learn that they taste very bad and they'll leave the milk of the monarchs alone. The milkweed assassin bug recognizes that these aphids, they know they've taste uh, they've got this chemical in them, this poison but they can handle it. So it allows them to do really, really well. It, it works out. Nature's got it covered, okay? Man has this desire to do better, and in reality, we'll do better if we just stay out of it. Blasting with water is not going to hurt anybody. It will clean off the bugs, but you're going to have to do it more than once. It's, they're going to come right back. You can use insecticidal soap, which would have an incredibly low impact if there happened to be any monarch caterpillars on there. And I have to remind you, monarchs are not the only bug, the only butterfly that can eat the milkweed. Queens and viceroys both can eat milkweed, and they are probably running around laying eggs now. Wouldn't be unusual to see them. So least impact is the best. And you got to have some faith. Those bugs are not going to wipe out your milkweed. It is kind of creepy looking at the plant, though, because there's not a single square inch that isn't covered with these aphids. They just go absolutely crazy. And they have 
that bright orange color to them, that's one of the indicators that what you're dealing with, but it's not a big deal, okay? It's not a big deal. Your plants will do just fine. Consider other nectar-producing plants. Lantanas, really good choice. Blue mist flower, that works great. All these butterflies will have something to feast on, and you won't have to worry about those little aphids. Lots of options for you to keep the butterflies happy. Uh, folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Matt. Matt, what can I help you with? Good morning. I have some tomato plants that I had to bring in a couple of weeks back because of the heat, and I haven't had them under lights. The problem is they're getting rather spindly. In other words, they're about eight inches tall, and they're getting too long for my lights. Uh, Will they, or were they worth transplanting, or the fact that they're kind of spindly, has that damaged them? That hasn't damaged them. Quick lesson here. When your plants get real leggy, tall, big gaps between leaves on the stem, things like that, that's called etiolation. Big fancy word. Etiolation in tomatoes is not unusual because when you, uh, they, they require so much sunlight. And generally we can't provide that much sun inside. So they, grow tall because they're looking for sun. The good news about it is once you get them outside, the etiolation will go away. They'll grow like normal. They'll get thicker trunks on them. They won't be so spindly. They'll, they'll do just fine. It is an environmental condition. It's not a disease. Um, it's not a pest. It's because they're not getting the light they need and they're being spindly. But once you put them in the ground, once you take them outside and put them in a container, they will grow up just fine. And you can kind of overcome this trick by um, planting them really deep. If I had a, a plant that was eight inches, I might plant it so that only two or three inches remains above the ground. Wow. All, the so, all the soil that touches those stems, those stems will set roots. They're right. called um, opportunistic rooting plants. So you can plant them really deep, and you'll wind up with a much bigger root mass, which means you can support more tomatoes, more fruit, etc. But right. the etiolation is not... Uh, something to be seriously worried about, the sooner you can get them outside to get full sun, the faster that'll go away. They're pretty good. The, the first four or five inches, you know, were stocky. And, of course, the latest growth on them in the last three or four weeks has been kind of spindly because of the, 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 the real good sunlight. But 
but I'm going to take a shot and put these in the ground. Is I've had my entire garden solarizing for about a month, two months, so it's not going to be that wet. And so I'm going to I'm going to stick them in the ground and do that, plant them real deep, and see what happens. But that's that's very encouraging. Thank you very much. Well, good luck with it. Uh, I think you'll be real happy with them. They should do fine. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Matt. Um, Etiolation. Plants will get really leggy in a couple of conditions. Too much water can make them very leggy. This is not a nutrient deficiency. It's an environmental condition. Uh, if they get not enough sun, they'll grow leggy, kind of thinking that they need to be taller so they can reach up to the sun. Doesn't, um, doesn't look great. Makes you nervous about your plants. When you're growing them inside as sea starts, that's, that's really common. But once you get them back out there where they can get full sunshine, they'll overcome the problem. They'll return to really good starts. They'll look fine. Let's go to the phone. This is Carol. Carol, what can I help you with? Hi. Uh, we have almost what looks like a swarm of those shiny green beetles in on a on a branch of one of our oak trees. It looks like kind of a dead or half-dead branch. Um, there's quite a few of them, and I wondered if they might be damaging the tree. It's unlikely they're damaging the tree. They're probably there because the branch is dead. Ah, ah, so if okay. you remove the dead branch, you may wind up removing most of the beetles. Can you describe them a little bit? Do they look like June bugs? Well, I'm afraid I don't know what a June bug looks like, but they look like a, a scarab is usually pictured, and they're that metallic bright green. Yeah. They're showing up right now. Um, there's several versions of this bug. There's a one called a rose chafer. There's a fig beetle. Hmm. There, there's lots of different kinds of these kind of beetles. Mm -hmm. Some of them will attack on dead wood. If you're on a, a branch that you can relatively easily remove, uh -huh. you can cut it off, throw it in the trash, it should remove the source of the beetles because they've lost their food. If you, if you look real closely, they're not gonna damage the tree. Okay. You have to watch them close, but they may take a little nip, but they're not going to take down the tree. Okay. And as soon as we get cold, cold they'll go away, too, whenever that's going to happen. <laughs> Are they harmful to anything else? Huh. Yeah, in an uh, unusual way. If you have a dog that's not the brightest animal in the world, they love to eat these beetles and that they wait till they come back in the house to throw them up all over the place. Oh. So. That's about the worst thing that happens with them. We have just such a dog, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, it shouldn't hurt him. You need to kind of watch him and convince him that that's not something you should be doing. Okay. Um, 
but that that is a common complaint I hear about these guys is people's dog will eat them and then yeah. up they come later and that's you know ruins carpets or whatever but uh will it will it hurt anything else no it's just a part of the normal nature might okay. lose some leaves but they'll grow back okay okay well thank you you bet thanks for the call uh yeah folks those we're seeing i've got several people who uh who several uh people talking about uh, these kind of beetles showing up. We get waves of bugs. We talk about, oh, this was the summer that was such and such. Or do you remember that one winter years ago where we got so much snow? Bugs come in the same kind of little pattern. We have a year where... We just cannot get ahead on the mountain laurels. That caterpillar just destroying them, no matter how careful you're trying to take care of them. Then we have years where we may not see them for a while. This ebb and flow of good guys and bad guys happens throughout nature. And that's what we're seeing right now. This particular drought-ridden, super high-heat summer Part of its problem, part of its problem causes these kind of bug raids. We get intense bursts of some kinds of pests. And, you know, next year we will have a whole bunch of the predator that eats them. That's just how nature does her job. Don't be surprised by it, and always look if you see these bugs, actually see if they're causing damage. See if you can't see them eating something. Because many times, it's no big deal. They'll be taken care of. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, Hope you have a great weekend. Uh, We'll talk to you all next Saturday at 9. Enjoy the week.